is Bloomberg Surveillance. We want to give the Fed credit. They have come a long way from where they were in the early 90s when they didn't even communicate anything to the market. The yen remains the most important single Asian currency. That together with Aussie, which I think is the proxy for all of Asia's growth. Ultimately, we still are going to have a crisis. At some point, it'll be a big one. And that's where the new tools in Dodd-Frank, the Title II, the Resolution Authority, that's where they come in. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen from our news bureau in Washington this Super Tuesday. Bloomberg with coverage all through the day on Super Tuesday. Of course, Mark Halperin and John Heilman this evening, a special two-hour with all due respect. Look for that on television, on radio. The market's quiescent, to use a word from Alan Greenspan, uh, this morning, futures up 15, Dow futures up 119. Um, I guess the one thing I would point out is 210 spread, uh, still under 100 basis points um, this morning. Uh, Bloomberg Surveillance, brought to you by Cone Resnick Accounting Tax Advisory. In the affordable housing industry, your business needs transformative advice. From the industry-leading experts at Cone Resnick, find out why at ConeResnick.com. Michael, what do you have? Well, first, uh, let me remind everybody that although this is Super Tuesday, it is also the day that the automakers report their February sales. Fiat Chrysler, as usual, first out of the box, sales up by 11.8%. The consensus forecast was for up 9.2%. So uh, Fiat Chrysler, as they often do, beating yep. estimates to start the day. We'll see how that turns yep. out as the day goes on. Jason Furman was with us, the chairman of the President's Council of Economic Advisors. He had to race to the White House, but he wanted to hear our next guest. He did indeed. Adam Posen, of course, from the uh, Peterson Institute. He's the president of the Peterson Institute for International Economics, former policymaker for the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee. And it is uh, that hat we kind of want you to put on this morning, Adam, because uh, yesterday Tom and I spoke with Alan Greenspan, about his views of the economy, and I have never heard him so cautious and uh, perhaps so doer about the prospects. He says that there is just so much uncertainty out there that it is very, very hard to make a coherent forecast for what's going to happen. And he worries, given China, given oil, and given the political climate, that we could be, in his words, in trouble. Well, Michael, thank you guys for having me. And a week when you had Jason, who was a rock star, and obviously the chairman, that's very gracious to be part of it. Um, I, I, you know, he has the forecasting insights, but there's so much going on that is still consistent with the optimistic view that Chairman Greenspan used to give us, that we live in a world which is more and more weightless. Intangibles are such an important part of the economy. Yes, the productivity growth is not showing up the way it should be, but there still is some innovation going on, that we are less energy dependent than we ever used to be. He didn't foresee the the obviously the fracking in the U.S., but the idea that we are much less energy-dependent economy in the sense of not needing export, imports of the same sort. But when we start talking uncertainty, my colleagues at Peterson Institute are publishing later this week something we call reality check for the world economy. We think that people have, have leapfrogged what is reasonable into excessive worry, that China has a floor under it, both in terms of policy and the actual growth, that energy markets, the decline in oil prices is on net clearly a good for the world economy, despite recent interpretations, that the U.S. economy, while probably at slightly elevated risk of recession, remains very much not in recession. And so 
I don't want to be complacent. There are things the world should be worrying about, but it's just not as bad a world as some people are saying. When you say it's not as bad a world as some people are saying, how good, you know, looking at it the other direction, how good is that? Because people don't feel it, it seems. That seems to be fueling a lot of the political discontent. No, I think that's a fair point, Michael, especially on, on Super Tuesday. Um, although there, again, that's less about the economy and about who gets what. I mean, the very sad cases, a lot of the terrible politics we're seeing in the U.S. and in Western Europe have to do with basically white males seeing their relative status go down, especially less educated white males. And that's less about economic failures and more about adjustment. doesn't mean it's not real. doesn't mean it's not serious. But it means from an investment point of view, you have to look at it as a political risk, not that the economics isn't working. But more importantly, you know, when you say, is it better? No, you've had on our mutual friend, Mohamed Al-Aryan, he coined the phrase new normal. I think there's some real value to that, that, Part of the thing is the U.S., Western Europe, China, Japan are all growing at slower rates than they used to. But in a sense, that's the good news. These are mostly sustainable rates. They're not built on huge amounts of leverage, although China's still doing a bit. They're yeah. not built on huge amounts of debt. Sorry. No, no, I'm not sorry. It's just I think it's an important insight that low growth is expected. From where you sit at the Peterson Institute, is America getting used to low growth or as part of the angst on this Super Tuesday, is it's 2% GDP, and we're not going to take this anymore. Oh, that's a really good point, Tom, and I think that's right. And, and you know, 20 years ago, before he was world famous, Paul Krugman wrote a book called The Age of Diminished Expectations, which is a great title. And what we're seeing now is, is the backlash when those expectations have come true. Uh, we're seeing the backlash, as you indicate. But, I mean, it's not just about the actual growth level. As the data came out just the other day, you know, the, the U.S. worker hasn't been getting fairly paid for what productivity growth there has been. There's been, you know, very large amounts of money going to capital and also very low growth in wages for a long time. And that's, again, that's not because of the 2% growth. It's an excuse. We, there are ways of dealing with that. Do you assume that the growth oomph that we need comes from technological progress, or can we manage and manipulate ourselves to a better trajectory? I'm sorry to be giving so many greatest hits of other people today, but, you know, sometimes people get it right. Larry Summers had his column a couple weeks ago talking about cheap lunches versus free lunches. One thing which you've heard me say before, Tom, is, you know, we're throwing away 8% of GDP on healthcare in ways that no other country does. And if we got more efficient about that, that's enough to buy us 10 years of improved growth or longer. Uh, similarly, the underuse of a lot of our young people. I mean, Bernie Sanders is vastly exaggerating the extent of youth unemployment, but underemployment, underutilization is real. And yeah. we take advantage of that. So there are ways to grow, even if the trend rate of growth doesn't have to be that high. But if we speak to Judd Gregg of New Hampshire or Jason Furman, working with the president, obviously with a affiliation to the Democratic Party, a common ground they have is we need growth and we need a public policy to drive it forward. That's where they differ. What is the Peterson Institute prescription to get the polarity of our politics onto a common ground? Does it just take a crisis? 
God, I hope not. It would be a terrible commentary and a terrible thing in reality if it takes an overt crisis to get agreement or get progress. And then you're risking things going crazy because sometimes Mussolini comes up in a crisis. No, we think there are. We heard that name the other day. See how Posen did that? He snuck that in. Snuck that in there. He's he's learned from Fred Bergstein. (laughs) I'm so sorry. But but look, I mean, the the growth things that have to be done, there is room for fiscal policy in the U.S., as I'm sure Jason spoke about, and it can take the form of public investment. Not all of public investment is going to be wonderful, immediate payoff, but just like the private investors on your program who talk about you need a good portfolio, and that's what we need is a good, strong portfolio of public investment. We need to reinvest in our community colleges and our our public sector education and the best parts of our private sector education instead of ripping people off with false claims, giving them the actual skills and training that they need. And in the short term, frankly, it would be good to sign the Trans-Pacific Partnership deal. It's not going to be huge, but it's going to add growth. It's going to add a few tenths percent of growth, which is meaningful when you're only growing at 2%. 1976 and 1980, Jerry Brown ran for president on a platform of limits. We were at the limits of growth and the limits of uh, society's ability to make things better, and we had to learn to live with it. Was he just premature? Was he wrong? Uh, Can someone do something to actually change the outlook long term? We can, definitely, Michael. I mean, Jerry Brown was premature running for president because the Jerry Brown of today might be a good candidate for president. But the limits to growth stuff from the 70s that you're referring to that many people spoke about was, I think, wrong. It was the idea that humans would just quickly run up against population constraints, energy constraints, food constraints. And going back to what Tom said, innovation has come, reorganization. Innovation isn't just about technology. It's about better administration, better organization, better work habits, as well as technology. And things have changed, and we have gotten things better. I'm sorry to sound rah-rah. One has to take very seriously, as I know you do, Robert Gordon, to cite another recent star. Robert Gordon's really fascinating work on the, are we in the midst of a technological slowdown? But there are still meaningful things you can do. There's still low-hanging fruit in reform, in utilization of underused resources, in efficiency, and, frankly, in opening up to the world. Uh, well, an agenda to look forward to after Super uh, Wednesday. Adam Posen is with the Peterson Institute. Dr. Posen, thank you uh, so much. We will continue this conversation from uh, Washington to try to give you a mix of people away from the hysteria, away from the horse race. Coming up, we are thrilled to speak to you from the gentleman from Minnesota. Vin Weber will join us on the state of his Republican Party. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Surveillance. Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael? Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Voters will head to the polls today for Super Tuesday primaries. Republican Donald Trump and Democrat Hillary Clinton are hoping to stretch their leads. Democrat Bernie Sanders and Republican Senators Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio are looking to blunt that momentum. Bloomberg will have nonstop Super Tuesday coverage throughout the night, starting with a special edition of With All Due Respect, starting at 5 p.m. Wall Street time. The Pentagon wants $34.7 billion through 2021 for cybersecurity. Defense Secretary Ash Carter says it is in part to beef up the offensive military capabilities, including the fight against the Islamic State.
interstate group. Funeral services will be held today for Ashley Gwinden, the Virginia police officer who was shot and killed on her first day on the job. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael Barr, thank you so much. Uh, from Washington, in support of Bloomberg 99.1 FM, Michael McKee and Tom Keene, Bloomberg Surveillance. The news update was brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. This month, your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealers welcome spring with a limited-time offer on select models like the sporty CLA and versatile GLA, each engineered and priced to move. Visit MBUSA.com today. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Futures moving higher this morning. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. And here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. U.S. futures are maintaining their gains since the last time we spoke. Dow futures higher by 118 points. SB's gained 15. And NASDAQ futures rise by 30. Crude futures are higher by 2.1%. And main European markets are climbing led by 1.7% gains in Italy. On the U.S. economic front at 945, market U.S. manufacturing PMI, and at 10 o'clock, ISM manufacturring and construction spending. After the Bellis Night, GoPro expects to record substantial net loss in Q1, and Workday Q1 revenue view trailed estimates. Regarding earnings this morning, Medtronic EPS inline, AutoZone EPS beat, and Dollar Tree Year EPS view trailed estimates. Finally, some EQ Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. At Bank of America, linear technology cut to underperform. Freeport McMoran raised to neutral. Kaiser Lunum raised to buy at Deutsche Bank. At Goldman Sachs, DSW and Steve Madden cut to sell. Workday raised overweight at J.P. Morgan with a price target of 85. And finally at RBC, United Technologies raised to outperform. And Valiant cut to sector perform. Live from the first of breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? All right, thanks, Bill. To hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K Go, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thanks so much. From Washington, Bloomberg Surveillance, we're brought to you by Invesco. Invesco believes it's time to bench the benchmarks to consider active management and factor-based strategies. Find out more at Invesco.com slash High conviction. I think it's the most important interview of the day. It is certainly the most interesting interview of the day. He is from Walker, Minnesota, off of Leech Lake, where he catches fish the size of your leg. Vin Weber uh, with us, of course, for decades, his support of a beleaguered Republican Party. Let me get the knitting out of the way. We spoke with Senator Gregg earlier. I asked him about his nominee come the convention. He said he would support the nominee. Could you support Mr. Trump as a nominee? of your Republican Party? I can't say that. I mean, I have great respect for Judd Gregg. He's a good friend of mine. We came into Congress together, and his judgment is good. But I've seen what Donald Trump has said, and I'm not ready to say that I could vote for him, no. You go back to the fabric and fiber, the linkage, frankly, back to World War II and your support of Senator Dole 20 years ago. The shock and awe of your establishment, what's your to-do list for your Republican establishment in the next 24 hours, or for that matter, the next 24 days? Well, we still have, you know, a couple of candidates in there that could challenge Donald Trump very seriously. Well, three if you count Senator Cruz, but but Governor Kasich is running, a friend of mine, also a friend of Judd Gregg's, uh, and Senator Rubio. And you've got to do what you can to help those people and, and prepare for a long 
fight all the way to the convention. It doesn't look as if there's any way of stopping Donald Trump short of a convention fight anymore. He's just got he's got too big a lead, and the polls say that he's going to expand that lead substantially tonight. But you can slow him down in the winner-take-all states that begin coming March 15th, go to the convention, and have a chance of nominating another kind Michael, of Republican. smoke-filled rooms, they return. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, you got to smoke outside now. Yeah, you got to smoke outside. have a smoke-filled sidewalk. But, you know, and it would be different. There was a time, obviously, when both parties chose their candidates in, if you might call them smoke-filled rooms, but, quote, brokered conventions. The, the difference now is we don't have bosses to broker a convention. It would be a genuinely open convention where people would come in, nobody having a majority, and obviously people would try to influence folks, but there's, there's, there's no Mayor Daley to deliver the votes of Illinois anymore, for instance. So it's, it would be quite a different situation, and that, that, that's because we've changed the way in which we mm-hmm. nominate candidates largely to primaries. Uh, I, I like to tell a story from my native Minnesota. In 1968, Hubert Humphrey won the Democratic nomination for president without entering a single primary. That's as recently as 1968. That's because we chose our presidential candidates differently in those days. That's not possible anymore. We, we, everybody, almost everybody's chosen through a, a primary or an open caucus system. And so the convention would be genuinely open. It would not be brokered. It would not be smoke-filled rooms because smoking's not permitted, as you pointed yeah. out. <laughs> like I said, smoke-filled street corners. If Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, what happens to the Republican Party, both in the short term, how bad would it be in the fall and over the long term does, does he as some people have said rent the party and then it comes the establishment comes back or does he blow it up well, it's, it's hard to say that you know it, it's a, just a temporary diversion and everything else returns to normal after this election I think it changes it quite substantially I think in the, in the most obvious political damage that he does to us is with the Hispanic and the Asian communities. Uh, the, the Hispanic community quite properly and quite understandably is mobilizing massively against Donald Trump all across the country. and He's got an 80-plus percent disapproval rating. That could wreck the Republican Party's chances with the fastest-growing segment of the electorate uh, for, for a long, long time to come. But I also emphasize to people, it's not just the politics of it. There are fundamental issues in which he is trying to reorient the Republican Party. Immigration is a notable one where the party that used to stand for fairly mm-hmm. open immigration policies now is, a, is in favor of walls and deporting people and things like that. Also trade. I mean, the Republican Party really has led as America has led since the end of World War II toward a more open, more liberal trading system. Donald Trump basically is talking about starting trade wars with Mexico, our closest neighbor, and China, the second largest economy in the world, and trashing the system of uh, multilateral trade negotiations that the United States has led in the world since the end of World War II. He's basically a mercantilist. Those are a couple of big things that, that would change in the, in, in the Republican Party on an issues and philosophical level which haven't been talked about enough, in my view, while we focus all this attention on insider versus outsider and establishment, right. as, as if, if Donald Trump came down and, and had uh, a cocktail right. party in Georgetown, everybody would be fine with it. Mike, this. jump in here quickly. We want you to stay around right. for our next section sure. as well. 30, 30 seconds. Uh, suppose Hillary Clinton's elected because people are disgusted with Donald Trump. Uh, January 20th, she takes the oath of office. January 21st, do Republicans in the House start impeachment proceedings? I mean, is this what we're going to face? <laughs> it could be pretty ugly. I, you know, who knows what the 
the direction of the uh, FBI investigation is going to be. I expect that she will be interviewed. I don't mean indicted, but interviewed mm-hmm. sometime before the election, and that these resu- these issues are not going to be totally resolved. Uh, I don't think that they would jump on impeachment, though, right away. I think that, the, that her issues are going to be with the FBI and with legalities. I cannot believe on Super Tuesday. We're talking, we're talking about talking impeaching about the next president. Ben Weber with us. We are thrilled to have him with us. Good morning <laughs> to all of you. through Washington. Sirius and XM Channel 119 in the great state of Minnesota. We say good morning. Bloomberg 960, San Francisco. Bloomberg 1200, Boston. Bloomberg 1130 in New York. And, of course, Bloomberg 99.1 FM, Washington and Baltimore. Stay with us. Coming up, the, with all due respect, highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverTriState.com for special offers during the only adventure sales event, Land Rover, above and beyond. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 99.1, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. It's 830 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. Economic Indicators brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. No numbers out at 830 this morning. 10 o'clock this morning is the big one. ISM Manufacturing. Everybody wants to know where we are. First look of the month. The market U.S. manufacturing PMI also comes out, uh, their final uh, number at 945. They saw contraction in their preliminary number, and that has people worried a little bit. Uh, 10 o'clock is also construction spending, and, of course, all day we're getting domestic vehicle sales for February. Fiat Chrysler, the only one out so far, better than forecast, 11.8%, and the estimate was for uh, them to be up 9.2%. Here's some good news. If you live north of the border, fourth quarter GDP in Canada, up eight-tenths of a percent, better than forecast. Very good. Good to know. Good news for Mr. Trudeau. You you want to get lucky. Better be lucky than good. We're in Washington today, Super Tuesday. Michael McKee and Tom Keene in support of 99.1 FM Washington. Please listen and say thank you. Uh, We say thank you to all in Washington. And Baltimore, with us, someone you know and many uh, Republicans know nationwide, if not worldwide, Vin Weber of Minneapolis. He's already inflicted upon us Vikings chat. They have a new stadium going up. Did you know they'll have Super Bowl LII? In Minneapolis here in Tuesday. Michael McKee, would you like to brief Mr. Weber on how you win a Super Bowl with your Denver Broncos? He's pointing out, yeah, that my Denver Broncos actually won for the first time in 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> we, 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 we noticed that, and the Vikings yeah. are, the, but the Vikings are improving steadily. We're, we're very happy with our quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. We're very happy with our coach, Coach Zimmer. Uh, the team has been improving regularly all along. We had a disappointing end to the season this year, but we're ready to right. play the Super Bowl in our own new stadium in 2018. We, we want tickets to right. Vin Weber's we big, do. We do. big suite <laughs> He's got on a 50-yard line, right? Vin Weber, your team, the Republicans, have to improve off of Super Tuesday after the convention and, frankly, after the election. Whatever happens, Jeb Bush exits early. Mr. Kasich of Ohio uh, seems to be picking up establishment support. But what is your new prescription for the grand old party? 
the part it, it, it's not so much a new prescription it's getting back to the prescription that used to work we have to become the party of economic growth again an awful lot of this frustration that shows itself in support for building walls and deporting people and starting trade wars is a frustration with an economy that just isn't growing very fast. You were what, down around, around 1% now. At 2% now is considered probably pretty good growth. It's not good growth. 3% plus is, is, is healthy growth, and we ought to shoot for 4 Uh That's what the Republican Party needs to identify itself as. Again, you hate to keep going back to Reagan, but Reagan you know, did create a generation of imaging and branding, if you will, for the Republican Party. And the main point that he made was we're the party of economic growth. If the party talks about that and talks about inclusion, uh, a lot of these other issues will become secondary. But people are frustrated that they're not living in an economy that's growing. And an economy that doesn't grow rapidly can't produce a better standard of living for the next generation than it does for this one. It's understandable people are concerned, Mm -hmm. but they're grasping at the wrong solutions led by somebody who's willing to exploit their concern. Well, Reagan came to office. I mean, he did talk much more positively than any of the candidates. The right. shining city on the hill. Yeah, and by, by the way, there was no wall around that shining city <laughs> shining on the city. hill. Uh, but he had basically four ideas, four things he wanted to get done, and chief among them was tax cuts. In other words, he had an enervating idea, one particular thing he brought to the table saying, we're going to do this, and it's going to help growth. Leaving aside the argument of whether it worked or not, Nobody seems to have that one idea for what to do anymore. Well, I think that there are. I don't think there is one idea. I think that there are a series of ideas. First of all, I think tax reform is a, is very much a part of that. I don't think you can get quite the bang for simple across the board reductions that you did when the top rate was at seventy percent, as it was mm-hmm. when President Reagan came in. But I still think that you can actually give the economy a good boost right. by bringing rates down, broadening the base. Also, deregulation to a substantial extent. I think that it's underappreciated how much we are increasing the regulatory burden on the economy. That was also part of what President Reagan did, particularly in the energy area. William Cohen of Maine will join us later. He has spoken of a brown America. Now, you're in Minneapolis. Jeff Flake down in Arizona has got a lot more uh, focused on the diversity, the new diversity of America. With the language that we've heard in the last hours, days, and even the last months, How does your Republican Party do inclusive, do diversity? Well, they have, they have to, they have to do what many Republican leaders have done, which is to simply denounce what we've heard the last several days and say very clearly, uh, there's no place in this party for racism or David Duke or the Ku Klux Klan. You know, even in, in Minnesota, my state, where we have a relatively uh, white population still, we have the largest Somali population in America because they fled when things got really bad over there mm-hmm. and were relocated. Uh, and they're, they're good, solid, hardworking citizens of my state of Minnesota. But they have to be concerned with what they're hearing. If we have a leading candidate for president who's talking about deporting people that don't look like him and building up walls to keep them out, who, who knows what he would do next? The party simply has to make a strong stand. Many Republicans have, none better than, uh, than Nikki Haley, the governor of South Carolina. Who would have thought that this voice for diversity and tolerance would come out of the state of South Carolina, which probably led the fight for the Confederacy during the Civil War? But she's been superb. Senator mm-hmm. Ben Sass uh, from Nebraska issued a very well-thought-out explanation of why he could not vote for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have to keep these voices alive in the midst of all right. the, the, uh, the, the, the panic and noise that's going we on. We could go for two hours and we haven't even gotten to Barbara Connable. 20 seconds. <laughs> you need people to drop out of the race. 
this evening or tomorrow morning to support your candidate from Ohio. No, I'm not sure that that's right. I, I, I think that keeping people in the race might be the might be the best solution to keeping the convention open okay. at this point. It's an, it's an open question. Vin Weber, thank you so much. He is Vin Weber from uh, Minnesota. Uh, wonderful to speak with him. Michael McKean and Tom Keen in Washington. S&P futures up 13. Dow futures up 102. Time now to bring in Michael Barr with the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Voters from Vermont to Colorado, Alaska to American Samoa, and states in between are heading to the polls today and caucus sites for Super Tuesday, the busiest day of the 2016 primaries. Democrats will vote in 11 states and American Samoa. Republicans will vote in 11 states. Democrat Hillary Clinton and Republican Donald Trump hope to stretch their leads. And Trump on ABC's Good Morning America says it is the media that is keeping the controversy involving former KKK leader David Duke's support going. I disavow him every time I speak to somebody virtually, and, you know, they just keep it going. They keep it going. Bloomberg will have nonstop Super Tuesday coverage throughout the night, starting with a special edition of With All Due Respect, starting at 5 p.m. Wall Street time. President Obama will meet today with Republican senators who have vowed to block the president's nomination for the U.S. Supreme Court. It is the first time the leaders have met since the sudden death of Justice Antonin Scalia. A funeral is scheduled today for a Northern Virginia police officer shot and killed on her first day on the job with the Prince William County Police Department. Ashley Gwendon was shot Saturday while responding to a domestic violence call. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom. Michael, thank you so much. Again, green on the screen, futures up 13. And now let's check in with John Stashow for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. John. All right, Mike, Rangers and Blue Jackets at the Garden. Both were looking for their third win in a row. It literally went to the wire, 1-1, late in the third. MSG had to call it and ended 2-1, to one, but only after Ante Ranta made a save in the last second. Columbus actually scored on the rebound, but it was after time had expired. Seven of the next nine for the Rangers on the road, starting with Thursday at Pittsburgh. Tonight, Devils host Carolina Islanders in Vancouver. Knicks will be home for Portland. Nets last night were in it, down only two going to the fourth quarter, but beaten by the Clippers in L.A., 105-95. And the Nets right back, same arena tonight to play the Lakers, last time they'll ever face Kobe Bryant. College basketball, Kansas now ranked number one and on the road, 86-56 route of Texas. North Carolina beat Syracuse 75-70. Mo Wilkerson leads the strength of the Jets, their defensive line. He had a career-high 12 sacks last season. Jets want to keep him, so they have placed the franchise tag on Wilkerson with the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. I'm John Stashow. John, thanks so much. Uh, futures up 13, Dow futures up 105. Churn in the currency market, yen, weaker this morning, 113.01. Looking at euro, 108.82, really has pulled back over the last few days. Was still a resilient dollar, not out to record recent highs uh, on DXY, but 98.18 on DXY is elevated over the last few days. Oil up 59 cents, 34.34, a legitimate lift in oil. We're now getting out higher 
over the recent moves that we've seen up. Michael McKeon, Tom Keene from our News Bureau in Washington. Stay with us this Super Tuesday. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by SCNB, the bank for business, is on the move. Are you looking for the right banking partner? Go to scnb.com to learn more. Now open in Long Island City. Get your business moving with SCNB. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Mark Spanith, LLP, ranked among the top three forensic accounting firms in New York by the New York Law Journal for the sixth year in a row. Visit MarkSpanith.com. Fiat Chrysler Automobiles managed another U.S. sales gain in February, extending its streak to 71 months. Driven by promotions tied to the President's Day holiday and continued strong demand for Jeep Sport utility vehicles and Ram pickups and vans, sales climbed 12%. Redefined Properties agreeing to buy 75% of real estate company Echo Prime Properties for a value of $1.3 billion to boost international expansion. U.S. stock index futures, meanwhile, are higher with S&P E-mini futures up 13 points. Dow E-mini futures are up 107, NASDAQ E-mini futures up 28. The 10-year Treasury down 230 seconds. The yield 1.74%. NYMEX crude oil up 1.8% or 60 cents to 34.35 a barrel. COMEX gold up 8 tenths percent or $9.40 to 12.43.80 an ounce. The euro $1.0877. The yen 113.04. And Canada's economy unexpectedly grew in the fourth quarter as a weak dollar reduced imports by the most in six years, taking pressure off the central bank to cut interest rates to a record low. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. From Washington this morning, we tell you it is 848 on Wall Street. Well, we've got a technical difficulty this morning in New York. That sometimes happens. Ken Fellio, our technical director, will be upon it. Mike, why don't you bring in our good guest? He is uh, William Cohen. Uh, we have a he's main had a few theme jobs. going on here today. Yeah. Uh, it's very appropriate to talk to, um, well, I guess you call him Secretary Senator Congressman Cohen because he served in all of those roles, a congressman and senator from the state of Maine before becoming the Secretary of Defense, uh, and he served under both parties. He served as Secretary of Defense under Democratic administrations. And, uh, Senator, as, as the political parties fight it out on this Super Tuesday, I uh, am of mind of uh, Senator Arthur Vandenberg and his famous dictum that politics stops at the water's edge. A lot of people uh, talk about that, but they don't talk about the fact that he was a tremendous isolationist. Uh, when the country was heading into World War II, it was after the war that he became an internationalist and led the Republican Party in that direction. I'm wondering if we can, if, if that can happen, if we can get back to that in the future, because there sure is a, a move towards isolationism right now. Uh, well, disengagement, I think, is the way it's phrased now, and, and a very mistaken policy. The world has become much more integrated economically, uh, to be sure, and the notion that somehow we can simply retreat to the uh, continental cocoon of the United States and watch events unfold on on Bloomberg uh, or CNN, etc., is uh, is foolhardy. 
uh, what is most disturbing to me is to watch this political process of ours uh, and to not feel a deep sense of embarrassment and shame. Uh, the level of uh, rhetoric taking place uh, during these primaries uh, has been embarrassing. I, I, I was in Europe, uh, in Munich, two weeks ago at a major security conference. Uh, I think all of uh, our allies who were there are puzzled, uh, embarrassed uh, for us uh, that uh, the people who are running for high office have been reduced to uh, caricatures. And uh, I think it does not bode well for the United States. So at the political level, I think we've got, we've seen a, 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 a defining of decency down, uh, to paraphrase uh, former Senator uh, uh, Moynihan's phrase. And uh, we have uh, lost our sense of what our role in the world is. And so other countries look to the United States for leadership. Well, there is a sentiment of it being expressed by candidates who are running today, especially in the Republican Party, that we need to disengage from world affairs mm -hmm. and focus solely on the United States. Big mistake. What, what should our role be? If you were a candidate for president, what would you be telling the American people about, in a, in a world, a multipolar world now, uh, about the United States' role and its abilities to carry out that role? or in a non-polar world, which is just as uh, bad, if not worse, uh, namely where you have no country that is able to exercise a, uh, a major influence on shaping events that uh, produce a, a more peaceful uh, environment. Uh, my uh, advice uh, to any president is to be engaged in the world affairs and to go to the American people and explain what it means. Right now, uh, there is a sense of nationalism uh, uh, building in the United States. It's not only in the United States, it's all over the world. You can see it in the Baltic countries. You can see it now in Germany. You can see it uh, in Greece because of what has taken place. So what has to happen, the United States is the only country that can take a leadership role at this point to try uh, and, and build a system or a, a create a new system whereby we can promote uh, commerce, peace, stability, and right now, there's a notion that we've uh, been overcommitted and time to recommit ourselves right. to build nation building at home. So the mistake, Mr. President, you need to uh, have the best possible people giving you advice and rebuild your military capability because it has been hurt very badly by the sequester across the right. cut. Mr. Secretary, I have to rip up the script. Uh, at this time for this nation, whatever anyone's views, you are more qualified, literally, than anyone I know to speak of this. I believe you grew up in the strangest of households, Russian, Irish, Jewish, Protestant. You then went on, and one time I saw you, you said, look, this future is a brown America. You are married to the absolutely lovely uh, Miss Langhart. Uh, for, and she's 49, I believe, and holding, last I uh, knew. <laughs> Secretary Cohen... With what you have heard, the 39, excuse me, uh, surveillance mistake, what you have heard in the last couple of weeks strikes home to you with the diversity of the Cohen experience. If Mr. Trump becomes your nominee, can you support him? Uh, that would be very difficult uh, for me, uh, given what he has been saying, appealing to very uh, racist sentiments that still are quite prevalent in uh, many parts of the country. Uh, to uh, label all Mexicans uh, to be potential uh, rapists, uh, all potential immigrants coming from the Middle East to be incipient terrorists. I think this is, uh, this is not good for the country, and it certainly is not a, a brand of leadership that I would be supporting. How did we get here? 
Uh, I think a combination of things. Uh, I think uh, what has happened, it started many years ago, but I think the whole notion of degrading uh, the government, uh, and it started with perhaps uh, Senator Goldwater uh, and, and President Reagan uh, really fed into that, uh, saying that the problem is the government is the problem, not the solution. And I think uh, I've always believed that the government is, uh, is your enemy until you need a friend. And we've got to have a balance here that you need government for a number of important functions, but that government's hand has to be light and not too heavy. But the notion of degrading government, I'm running against Washington. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a, uh, I believe that the entire system is corrupt. I think the system is corrupt in the sense that a few people can raise a billion dollars uh, and thereby uh, have undue influence on the entire political process. So there's that element to it. I think we, we really have to get back to saying, are we a United States of America? Is it E pluribus unum or is it E pluribus pluribus? from many, many, uh, yeah. and we we become fractured in that sense that I don't know that we have uh, the ability or the willingness to say, hey, it's one America, we have our differences, right. but my goodness, there are big issues out there, and we're talking about whether the size of somebody's hands or whether the color of their face or hair, I mean, it's absurd. Sure. Now, this goes back, again, to Secretary Cohen's book with his uh, wife, Love in Black and White, which was out a few years ago. Secretary Cohen, thank you so much for joining us today. William Cohen, of course, uh, of Maine, as was Angus King, who we spoke of uh, earlier. That's a wonderful co- – Michael, just a great conversation to have uh, after what we've seen the last couple of weeks. Well, somebody from the foreign policy side, and again, uh, he gets back to Arthur Vandenberg and in his view in the 1950s that politics stops at the water's edge. We can't even get outside the Capitol. <laughs> yeah, well, that would be the uh, debate as well. Right now, from Washington, it is 8.56 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg View. The cities with the healthiest job markets are often those with the least affordable real estate. Meanwhile, cities where housing is inexpensive usually don't have a lot of great jobs on offer. Still, I figured there had to be some places where jobs are plentiful and housing a lot cheaper than in Boston or New York or San Francisco. So I went looking for them in the data, using a Brookings Institution report to identify metropolitan areas with better-than-average economic growth since 2009, and a National Association of Realtors report to identify those with more affordable-than-average housing. I then sifted out the areas with a below-average share of college graduates, because education levels are a good indicator of job quality. Five metropolitan areas met my test. Cincinnati and Columbus, Ohio, Minneapolis, Omaha, and Pittsburgh. None of these is what you'd call a boom town. Columbus is the fastest growing of the bunch, and it's only the 20th fastest growing large metro area nationwide. But these places all have unemployment rates well below the national average, with Omaha's the lowest at just 3%. They could grow faster if only more people moved there. So what are you waiting for? I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg View. For more Bloomberg opinion and commentary, please go to BloombergView.com or ViewGo on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. It is Super Tuesday. I'm here with the Super Michael McKee in Washington in support of 99.1 FM in Washington. Welcome all of you coast to coast across this nation on an important political and economic day.